So Larissa mentioned that we're going to start a new uh, a series today. Uh, we're going to look at um, uh, the, the big question of, of how to have a better life. This is the question people have wrestled with uh, as far back as people have wrestled in, in print. We're going, to, we're going to ask about how to have a better life. How would you go about having a better life? And I think most of us know that, that um, uh, the, the, the message we receive from our culture, the message that um, maybe we've had ourselves, you know, run through our head, you know, about a late January time frame is what I really need to have a better life is a beach vacation, right? That if I could just go spend a week or, or a year or maybe 10 years on a beach that, that, you know, if I just laying out there in the sun and, you know, uh, hearing the surf and maybe drinking a, a, a fruity beverage, um, that, that I would have a better life. But, if we really play that out or we think about vacations we've had in our own lives, um, we, we may say, you know what, actually the first first couple of days would be good, but I think, you know, after about a month just lying on the beach, you, you, you may say, you know, I'm starting to feel, you know, cabin fever you know i thought you could i thought you could only get that in alaska in in the spring but but i'm actually experiencing it because honestly this is a pretty boring beach and you know you you kind of say i wish there was better uh, a wi-fi out here because i want to check my phone because honestly a beach can be pretty boring after the first couple of days so so um so i'm not sure if if uh the the better life is to be found um on on the the beach and and maybe maybe I haven't convinced you yet and maybe you're saying well I'll risk it or something like that um, but but let me let me kind of jump to the point which is that Christians have have said for really the entire history of the Christian movement that that is not where we find the better life the way we find the better life is by becoming who God made us to be that that ultimately if we become uh, uh, the, the kind of people that God made us to be, then we will experience the better life. And the way we do that is to become like Jesus. That Jesus is our model uh, because he is not simply um, uh, uh, a, a human who is God. He is also the perfect human. He is a model of what it means to be truly human. So, so our goal during this series will be to see how can we grow in Christ-likeness. How can we become more and more like Christ um, on, on a daily basis. So, so that's what we're going to be working uh, on. And maybe your first question is, how? You know, that's a, that's a great idea. I'd like to be as much like Jesus as, as God can make me, but how exactly do I go about doing that? And, you know, you know, the answer to, to that question, um, is how do you get to, how do you get to, uh, to Carnegie Hall? Right? Practice, practice, practice. Well, it's, it's that simple that, that the way we become more and more like Jesus is by practice, practice, practice. And, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, a tortured metaphor that I'm gonna try and stick with throughout, uh, the, the message today. Did you see this thing in the news about the guy who broke the, the two hour marathon record? So, um, uh, so the first time anybody has run whatever it is, 23, 26 miles? 22? Anyway, longer than I will ever, ever run. Um, so, so, and he did it in two hours, so, so God bless him. Um, so, so, uh, let me just give you a hint. If you're thinking, I'm gonna go become like Jesus, um, and, and, you know, picture that as saying, I'm going to go run a marathon in under two hours, right? With the best intentions, with the, with the most sincere intentions in the world, if you, you know, hit that door running and, and try to do that, you will fail because you are not you have not practiced, right? You, you are not ready to go run a two hour marathon. So, so, um, so 
the way we the way we become good at anything, the way we get to Carnegie Hall, the way some people um, run a two hour marathon is by practice. And uh, what we what we know is this is actually something that people can do. Um, how many of you have heard of C two five K? Uh, couch to 5K. Back in 1996, there was a guy named Josh Clark who decided he needed to get healthy. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to figure out, how can I go from sitting on my couch to completing a 5K run? And so he, he did it, but he also, he also said, and again, this is something I'm talking about from theory, but, um, not, not from personal experience. But what, what he, but, it, but it is in fact a lot of people's personal experience because what he did is, is in addition to doing it himself, he figured out a, a, a pattern that other people could follow. So he, uh, he came up with a, an app for people's phone and the, this whole little procedure. And so you see people with stories like this, right? I lost 150 pounds by meal prepping and finding my love for running. Somebody who went, from couch to 5K. So, um, so you see stories like that. I, I particularly like this story. Um, a nine-year-old boy takes a wrong turn during a 5K race and wins a 10K race instead. So he was surprised at at how how well the practice had had enabled him to uh, to compete. But you know, as I was looking into this, the story I liked best was this. It's I tried a couch to 5K training plan with my nine-year-old and improved more than our fitness. They basically bonded. They they became closer as a family uh, because because of the, the this shared activity. So so what I want to do is I want to take that metaphor, the idea that we are in training, maybe not for a two-hour marathon, but maybe for a 5K. That we're we're gonna we're we're gonna say how can we compete in a spiritual. 5K. You know, I've been on a spiritual couch, and I, what I want to do is I want to get into a spiritual 5K. So that's that's the idea behind behind this uh, series of messages, and uh, because of that, it's going to be practical. Um, today we're going to talk about prayer, and there's any number of things we could talk about prayer. Come to my office; I will show you all the books I've got on prayer. Christians have been talking about prayer for a long time, and there's all kinds of things we could look at in the area of prayer. But we're going to focus on how we can pray practically. And in order to do that, we're going to be um, guided by by the example that Jesus uh, gives us in um, in the the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, before I do, I just want to say this because I, I can imagine there's somebody out there who is thinking, um, "Yeah, but what is the point, right? I mean, I can do this, but but is there any point in doing this? Is this is this just fancy mindfulness? Is this just?" Um, Meditation, because is there in fact anybody out there listening? You know, it, does God listen to prayer? We had a question come up a couple of weeks ago in the Ask Me Anything. Um, if the future is predetermined, what is the point of prayer? If God's already figured out what God's going to do, then why bother to pray? And Christians say um, that that's not that that is not um, the the way we understand God's answers to prayer. That that God sees right now the same way we do. But God also sees every other point in history, forward and backwards, as right now. That God is looking at, at a thousand years ago as right now. And God is looking at a thousand years from now or whatever. However long the future lasts, God is looking at it as right now. So it is predetermined only from our point of view. God is looking at it, though. God is acting in history then and now for God as the present. So that's different from saying God's already decided and when you ask for something, he's going to say, nah, I'm not going to you know, pay any attention. Christians actually believe God does listen to prayer. And more than that, that the future is different 
because of our prayers. And, you know, if you press me on that and say, what does that mean? You know, if I prayed for this, I'm not going to give you a better answer than that. I'm going to say the future is different because God listens to your prayers and considers them. And beyond that, if you press me, I don't know. Talk to God. Uh, and in fact, that's what we're going to talk about now is how do we talk to God? So, so, um, our, our, uh, example, as I said, is going to be from the, um, the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, uh, in the middle of, um, the middle of, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stops and tells people how to pray. And so we're going to look at this, uh, this teaching Jesus gives on prayer because he tells us two things, the kind of meta, meta, um, you know, uh, Here's some some tips on prayer. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to give you an actual example. So he begins by um, saying this, uh, looking at um, at uh, verse 5. Um, and and uh, uh, there's just uh, one more thing, because um, uh, because maybe this will be helpful. Um, I was thinking, uh, Richard Foster, he's one of the guys who's written a book on prayer. He's written all kinds of books on spiritual disciplines. He's a great, great writer, and I encourage you to read any of his books. Um, uh, but he says prayer is coming home to the living room of God's heart. Coming home to the living room of God's heart. And I, I like that, but because, because I had already come up with the, the analogy of the beach vacation and, you know, thinking about the beach vacation, I was thinking, you know, there's a, there's another, there's another picture that, that I like. Um, Jesus talks about being with him in paradise. And the word paradise is, is a Persian word and it meant a walled garden. And if you think about, you know, the hanging gardens of Babylon, you know, the famous uh, wonders of the world, they were famous for their gardens. And the walled garden was a special garden. It was a cultivated place that the king had for himself. And the reason it was called, the reason it took on this idea of a wonderful place is because if you got inside the garden, then you could pitch your proposal to the king. You could talk to the king and say, hey, I've got this thing on my mind. And the king could say, sure, you know, Take a talent of silver and go do that thing or whatever, right? So paradise, this walled garden that belonged to the king, was was a great place because that's where you got your requests answered. And if you couldn't get inside of the paradise, if you couldn't get inside the walled garden, then how would you ever get the things you needed from the king? So I love the, the homey picture of the living room. But maybe it may be more helpful to you, depending on what's going on in your own life, to think, you know, I've been invited into paradise. I've been invited to walk alongside the king in his walled garden and pitch my my thing the the thing i most need to hear from from the king the 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 resources i most need so so either one of those images is is um uh, is available to you whichever one you find more helpful so jesus says here's how you pray and he begins like this he says when you pray don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them i tell you the truth that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, decide who your audience is going to be. So our, our first point is, decide who your audience will be. Jesus is saying, you have your choice. Uh, that that you can pick either of two audiences and they will reward you differently. If your if your audience is the people around you, then they will go, you know, oh, you know, what great prayer, you know, such a holy person, right? And if that's the reward you want, pick that audience and you will get that reward. But if you want the rewards that God bestows, then make God your audience. So he says, he says, um, he says, uh, just decide who your audience is going to be. Um, and if God is your audience, then he he gives this as a tip. He says, when you pray, go away by yourself. 
shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Now, Jesus is not saying that you can never pray in public. He's not saying, you know, oops, somebody saw me pray, pray you know, now I'm in trouble. Um, what he's saying is decide who your audience is. And uh, it, it could be that because of the circumstances that you need to pray in public. But, but even in those circumstances, your audience should be God. And that as much as possible, tune out the other audience, the people who are standing around you. The, the good thing about, the good thing about praying in private is that it's easy to tune out an audience that's not there. It's also easier to be honest. It's easier to say, God, you know, if people were around me, I would kind of fuzz this up and make it look a little different to make myself look better. But, but because it's just you and me, God, I can actually be open and I can be honest and vulnerable and tell you what's really going on. So decide who your audience is. And the, the corollary of that is only pray somewhere if your audience is there. You know, the, the good thing about going into that, into that room by yourself is God is there. The good thing about going to the beach or to the mountain, the good thing about wherever, wherever you are is that God is there. There may not be any other audience there, but wherever you go, the audience you want is there. So only pray in a place if God is there. So. Um, so, uh, so Jesus begins by telling us to decide who our audience will be and, and pray in such a way that that audience hears us. So, all right. Then Jesus goes on in verse, um, verse seven. He continues. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating, um, repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Uh, we've been dealing with something that happened with my daughter. She uh, is in college, and we've gotten a couple of communications from the college that say um, that say that there's some kind of a complexity in getting the money sorted out in the right account or something. So we've been having to deal with that all during the fall. And uh, a couple of times, Iris has contacted us because they've contacted her. And and um, when when she prays to us, that we would solve this problem and they would let her register for the fall, she's not telling us, well, well, mom and dad, a couple of years ago I entered into this college and, you know, it's in Michigan. And she doesn't give us, you know, chapter and verse. She doesn't tell us, uh, you know, things we already know, right? She says, I got another letter from the registrar, okay? And they're telling me, you know, there's whatever it is, some button didn't get pressed or something. So anyway, I think... I think that's all sorted out now. We're hoping that that's all behind us. But, you know, tomorrow's a new day. But but the reality is, Iris is not telling us, you know, hey, I'm going to college, right? We know that. And in the same way, um, the, the, the way we should approach God is that, look, there's a particular thing that's on my mind. I got mail from the registrar, right? But we don't need to, to have the whole thing explained. We don't need, you know, all the details because... Because we already know them. And in the same way, God already knows your details. What, what, the, the way you should talk to God is not to, to, um, give God new information. But you should talk to God until you know that God knows. The person you're trying to inform is yourself. Hey, I know that God knows, but now I really know because I just said what was on my mind. So, so, um, so the good thing about this, when Jesus tells us that um, that uh, we don't have to pile up long explanations, we don't have to, you know, write dissertations to explain to God what our need is and, and why it is, is that it means our prayers can be very brief. And in fact, uh, point two is this: you do have enough time to pray. 
This is the most common uh, objection people have to all the spiritual disciplines, including prayer. People say, I don't have time. And Jesus just took that away from you. He said, you don't need time. That how long does it take to tell God, you know, I need a better job. I need a better relationship. That it can be that short. Or it can be as long as it takes until you're convinced God understands where you're coming from. But God doesn't need new information. And God doesn't need a lot of ceremony either. So, so those are kind of the two things that Jesus says before he provides this example. And um, Jesus gives us an example of prayer. It is an example. And the, the best picture I have for the Lord's Prayer is not that it is a ritual you have to um, carry out, but that it is an example, or, or better yet, it's a guideline. Um, I've got a teaching aid up here. This is this is what musicians know how to make sense of. I don't, but um, the the little spots and the lines that they mean something to people. And if you're a musician, you use them. But I could get two orchestras to play from the same score, and it would be different because because music is something that is not encoded on the page. It's something. This is a guideline, and so so think of the Lord's Prayer in the same way you think of like sheet music. That it's a guideline for you, but it doesn't it doesn't limit or constrain you. It it simply it simply gives you a, a structure to to work within. So um, so Jesus says, pray like this. So he says, pray like this. What is the first thing he tells us? Well, he says he says, uh, our Father in heaven, and. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of commentary. Like I said, I've got books on prayer. Um, there's a lot of commentary on the the use that Jesus uh, throughout this passage. Jesus has been switching back and forth between a plural you and a, and a singular you, and um, we miss that in English because we don't we don't keep it. We don't make a distinction unless you live in the South and then it's you all, but um, or, or I guess Philadelphia and it's yous. Um, but uh, but uh, in English, we don't we don't keep that distinction anymore. If you go back and you get a copy of the King James Bible or something, an old copy, it'll say uh, it'll say ye uh, ye is plural and thou is singular. But we've lost that, and so we miss that. But Jesus is using these plural terms, and so a lot of people are uh, are accustomed to hearing this as as okay. So Jesus is telling me I can't pray for my own stuff; I can only pray for our stuff. But I just want to invite you to think about another possibility. Maybe Jesus is saying, include me in your prayers. He's saying, hey, you know, think of me as being a part of this prayer that, that you're, you're making. So, so, um, it's our Father in heaven. And I think of this because, um, the, the reality is whenever, whenever we talk about God as Father, there, there's always somebody who says, you know, you don't know my father. You know, my dad was an alcoholic or my dad abandoned us and my mom had to work, you know, seven jobs or, or whatever. You know, people have got real stories about bad fathers. And um, and I do not. So to some extent, if you tell me that story, I will miss it. And, you know, I mean, if I heard it, I may be you know horror struck, but but I won't really feel it the way you do because I had a I had a perfectly normal dad who you know had his strengths and his weaknesses, but but he did not traumatize me in any way that I that I know of. Um, so if, if that's your experience, um, I have kind of a, a some sense of what that must be like, but I don't really I don't really get it. Um, and so, so the, the thing I would encourage you with is this. When I was a kid, I would be invited over to my friend, my friend's house down the street. And I would think to myself, I wish my mom cooked 
your, the food your mom cooks, or I wish my mom had this, or I wish my dad, you know, was like yours. And Jesus is saying, come over to my house. He's saying, he's saying, cause I've got a great dad. And so if that's your experience, if you're saying, if you're saying, you know, I have, I have a trauma that I cannot really picture God as father. He's saying, I've got a great dad. Come over to my house because the things that I enjoyed in my, in my relationship with my father are available to you too. So, so Jesus begins by saying, our father. And, um, and, and then he says, um, he, he, uh, so, so I'm sorry, the third point. Remember that Jesus is your brother. Um, he says, our father in heaven. And, uh, the letter to the Hebrews says this, Jesus and the ones he makes holy, that's us, have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. That Jesus sees us as being related to, to our heavenly father that way. So even if you say, well, you know, I'm still struggling with that, it's okay. Jesus, Jesus, um, invites you into that anyway. And Jesus says, more than that, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now are you my, now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. So Jesus calls us not only his brothers and sisters, but he calls us his friends. So that's the relationship we're invited into as we approach our Father in heaven. So, so, um, remember that Jesus is your brother. The, the next thing Jesus says is he, he says, well, the rest of the prayer. So he opens with this address and then he says, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, people who, who have studied the prayer have pointed out how all three of these, uh, uh, first requests that Jesus makes have the same structure that may your this, may your that, may your the next thing. So he says, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, there's something that we want from God that would be impossible from anybody but God. He says, he says, we, we want God to be a part of our life. We want God to intervene in this situation, you know, fix this relationship or, or help me in my finances or help me with the, the thing that's going on in my health right now. We want God to be a part of our life. But he says, the danger is that if God is in your life that way, if God is a part of your life, that God can become, um, an instrument, that God can become a tool that we can basically uh, turn God into an idol, that God that God um, becomes domesticated. And so he says, when you pray, open by saying, may your name be holy. May your name stay holy. May I never try to domesticate you. Not that you would succeed, but, but that's the essence of idolatry. It's saying, I've got a personal God. I've got a lucky rabbit's foot. I've got, I've got uh, um uh, an idol. I've got an amulet that when I rub it, we, I've, I've got Aladdin's lamp. And, you know, when I rub it just so, I get three wishes. And, and he says, no, start by saying, I don't want that kind of relationship with God. I don't want a tame God. I don't want a domesticated God. I want a God who is holy, who is utterly transcendent, that is, that is completely different from anything that, that I can get my head wrapped around. But I still want God to be a part of my life. I still want God's intervention in my life. So he says, may your name be kept holy, but may your kingdom come. 
May you reign, at least in my heart, in your time, reign in the whole world. But begin by reigning in my heart. Be the king of my heart. So may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying, ask for your cake and ask to eat it both. Jesus is saying, ask for God to remain holy, to remain this this uh, utterly different thing that no matter what the circumstances are, God's not a part of. But at the same time, ask God to be part of the circumstances. Ask the impossible and God will grant it. So, um, number four, ask God to align you with God's purposes. This is, this is the essence of this idea that, that if, if I'm asking anything from God, then don't let me try to domesticate God. Instead, let God domesticate me. Let God lift me up into His presence. Let me, let God make me, um, uh, aligned with God's own purposes. So, um, in, uh, Colossians, uh, we read that he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the kingdom that we're, we're looking to be part of. And in Hebrews it says we've actually received it. Whoop. Um, all right. Please, you do a better job than me. So, all right, there we go. So, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping with holy fear and awe. And Jesus says more than that, that, um, <laughs> all right, can we get the, there we go, thank you, all right, I'm not going to touch it anymore. So, um, so Jesus says that, um, that, uh, that it gives God great pleasure, that, that giving us the kingdom is not something we've got to wheedle out of God, that God is not, uh, God is not saying, you know, all right, I guess because because you're Jesus's brother, because you're Jesus's sister, I guess I can do this thing. That that's not the picture to have. Picture that this is something that God delights in in doing these things for us. He says it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So ask God to align you with God's purposes. And then lastly, God says, um, uh, Jesus says, ask God to uh, provide what you need now. So the next three, the next three um, uh, uh, petitions in the Lord's Prayer uh, all have this "give us" thing. It says, uh, "Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one." So all three of these have got this um, "give us" structure, "forgive us" structure, "don't let us" structure. That that Jesus is saying that we've talked about how how we would like God's will to play out. And now we're going to talk about the actual, the thing we're, we're praying for. So, so what is that thing? Well, it says, um, uh, give us today the food we need. Um, that's the one we start with. And, um, uh, this is a place I actually know too much about this. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had to write a paper on the word today in this passage. And you'd be stunned at how much, actually, you can find out yourself how much there is to say about this. Because when I was in seminary, there wasn't a Wikipedia page, but I checked and there is now. You can read um, kind of a summary of how much scholarship there has been on the word today in the Lord's Prayer. And it's it's staggering. And so uh, Christians down through the centuries have actually debated exactly what it means. But but I'm going to uh, stick with the today translation. Um, there, there's been some some outliers, but most most Christians down through the years have have stuck with the idea that it means today. Um, and so so Jesus is saying, pray for whatever it is you need, because Jesus because God is is not um, 
Aladdin's lamp. That if you're, if you're thinking of the story of Aladdin, you know, you have to get your prayers in. You, you get all three, right? Because, because you only get those three. So you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, you know, what, what do I need next week? What do I need, you know, I, I you know, cause, cause this is a diminishing asset. It's going to disappear. It's going to turn into a pumpkin at midnight. I need to get my stuff out of God right now. I need, I need the genie to give me my things right now. And Jesus is saying, no, just pray for what's on your mind today. You don't have to think, you know, you don't have to optimize for the future because, because you can go to God tomorrow. And the day after that, you can always keep returning to God and ask for the things you need then. So he says, you know, don't sweat this. Don't make this too complicated. Just say, right now, at this minute, like I was telling the children, right now I want up. And in three minutes, I'm going to want back down. Or ten seconds, I'm going to want back down. He says, he says, pray for what you need right now. So give us today the food we need. And later on in this chapter, he's going to talk about food shelter, clothing, uh, uh, water. He, you know, he's saying essentially all of our material needs, whatever it is we need right now, go ahead and pray right now. Don't feel like this is something you've got to, you've got to plan for tomorrow because tomorrow you can pray again. But then he says how we can deal with the past, right? Because yesterday I screwed up. Yesterday I made a mess of my life. And he says, okay, well, let's deal with the past. So he says, okay, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. He says, right now what you need is to deal with your past. He says, you can do that too, right? There's nothing I can do to go back and fix the past. But he says, I can pray about it even so because God does see the past. God sees the past right now. For God, it is always now. And so I can pray about the past. He says, forgive us our sins. Forgive us the things we did in the past. And guide me in the future. Because again, the future is now to God. He says, don't let us yield to temptation, right? Govern my future, forgive my past, and give me right now what I need. He says, he says that you can pray to God about anything, not just, not just anything, you know, a a, a podium or, or a book. He says, you can pray about anything. You can pray about your past. You can pray about your future. You can pray about the present. And you can do them all right now because God sees it all right now and God acts when it's necessary. So the um, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about your, your immediate material needs. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything, past, present, and future. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. So ask God what to provide what it is you need now. So that's that's as short a message as I could come up with on the subject of the Lord's Prayer. And um, uh, I was thinking to myself, this should be a six-week series all by itself. But um, but we're going to stop there. But I don't want to I don't want to to lose sight of of the big idea here, which is that we are trying to get to Carnegie Hall. We're trying to get off the couch and into a spiritual 5K. So for some of you, some of you are already running that two-hour marathon, or maybe you're a three-hour marathon person. I don't know. I will never be there. But I want to get off the spiritual couch. And I encourage you, get off the spiritual couch. Put this into practice. Jesus gave us this simple prayer because he wanted us to actually do it. So let me ask you, during the next week, commit. Tell yourself right now, 
I'm going to pray this prayer every day for the next week. And maybe for some of you, it's like, well, you know, that's the first 30 seconds of a two-hour prayer time. But for some of you, it'll be, you know, I should do that. And I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and do it. Pray this prayer and spend just enough time to think through what it was Jesus meant when he said it. Because the way we get off the couch is the same way we get to Carnegie Hall. The way we become like Jesus is not by wishing it was true, not by making promises, well, you know, I'm going to do better. It's by actually practicing. So let's begin by practicing prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this example. Um, we thank you for the images that, that saints have given us down through the years, the image of a, of a living room that we can come home to, and particularly for those, Lord, who, who struggle to see you as a good father, Lord. Help them to see that Jesus is inviting you to come over to his house where there is a good father. Thank you for the image of the walled garden where we can talk with a king and, and um, present our, our needs to you because we know that you have the resources to grant every wish we could, we could possibly uh, present before you. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can pray about um, our past, our present, and our future. Thank you, Lord, that, that you are willing to be in our lives and at the same time not to become domesticated, not to just become a servant who does what we tell him. Thank you that you remain transcendent, that you remain holy. But thank you that you, your kingdom comes into our own hearts. Lord, we ask you to, to uh, help us to remember this week to pray this prayer as Jesus taught. We pray this in his name. Amen.